God is good, isn't he? He is so good. He's kind and he's merciful to us, isn't he? Isn't God kind to us? I love that line from the song, Reckless Love, right? He's so kind to us. God doesn't have to be, you know. I think about this a lot. Anybody else in here a thinker? I think everybody is, but you don't think you're a thinker. You just don't voice your thoughts, so it doesn't seem like you're a thinker, but everybody's in, in thinking. Everybody's meditating and wondering. Some just think differently, so then they think they're not a thinker, and the other one is. Anyway, uh, I think about God's nature a lot. And God could be any God he wants. He's God. He doesn't have to be the God he is to us. It's interesting how when people try to sell the gospel, I hate when people try to sell the gospel like it's better than other gospels. Anybody else hate that? Like, you should try Christianity. It's better than Buddhism because of this. And so we don't need to sell Jesus. We don't need to sell the gospel. He is who he is. And God could be bad if he wanted to be because he's God. I know we can't even imagine that. He could, he could be cruel to us, and he's not. He's done it out of his love, out of his mercy, out of his grace. In fact, if you read through all the prophets, the majors and the minors, right, you see this valley, uh, you see these mountaintops and these valleys, even in God's own words. God's like, I'm going to destroy you. I mean, every last one of you. But I'm going to spare some of you <laughs> because of my grace and my mercy. Even when they deserved judgment, and even though he was going to do some things that he had been warning about for a very long time, he can't, his nature, he can't help but spare and give love and give grace. I'm always, I'm always um, shocked by the grace that God gave Ahab. Who knows Ahab in your Bible? And I, I, I'm always like, Lord, whenever I read those words where it says, did you see my servant Ahab? how he has humbled himself. And I'm like, Lord, he doesn't get a chance to humble himself <laughs> in our natural. God is so gracious. He's so good, isn't he? He's so incredibly merciful. He's a good God. Um, I think I could probably get up here every single week and just say one simple thing, which is that God has a plan and a purpose and that really is it, isn't it? He really does. And I feel like a broken record in the sense that I'm constantly reminding us that it may not look like it, but God is still working. You may not see it. You may not feel it. In fact, it, mature Christians in here, who feels like God sometimes removes the feelings on purpose? Like, no feeling at all, so that you have to have real faith. I mean, you love the goosebumps during worship. Everybody loves that when it comes. We love the lovey-dovey side of God when he does appear that way. But I find the more mature you are, that, that if you start to rely on that, he just removes that completely, so that you worship him because he's God, not because of the feelings of God. Right? Amen? And if, uh, if there was ever a time in history, I believe we're in it and heading into it, where it's going to look more biblical than ever before, 
Sodom and Gomorrah. But it will also potentially, if you focus on Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, you could miss that God is working out his plan and his purposes. You have to realize that the Bible has told us from the beginning that it will get darker before it gets brighter. You realize it's going to get so dark that God literally says, pause button, because if I don't stop what's going on, the Bible says that no flesh will be left alive. I can't even imagine how dark that is, that God just says, stop, enough. He hasn't done it so far, which means, what, guys? We can figure this out. It's pretty simple. That means that as dark as it is today, let's just figure this out. This is easy logic. It means it's going to have to get a lot darker. God hasn't hit the button yet. But who knows in your spirit, man, that we are, we are well on our way. I know that they've been, even Paul was like, you know, he could come at any moment, right? You can read in his words, I'm just waiting for him to come. Whether I meet him or he meets me, you know? And that's 2,000 years ago. But who believes we are like, some things are changing, right? In fact, we were just talking the other day that I feel like in, in the time that we're in, it really, we have crossed over a threshold where it doesn't matter who's elected in positions in this world anymore. We've crossed over a threshold that doesn't mean that we can't have a, a good time as, let's call it a, uh, the eye of the storm. You know, you realize if you go inside of a tornado, it's going to look blue above that. Did you know that? If you go inside of a storm, there's a, the eye of the storm is a blue sky, right? Who's ever been that? The one side of the storm comes through, and the other side's on its way. So you may have the eye of the storm for a moment, but the storm is here. It is on the earth. It's on the scene. And there are things, I think, that it's our job to continue to pray. Who knows that? There is no such We cannot be fatalists. We cannot just say, well, the book of Revelation has to unfold, so we've got no choice in the matter. It's our job to keep praying, right, for a change in our nation, for a change in the atmosphere, even change politically. We're going to keep praying that way. I'm not talking, don't think I'm being pessimistic or lack of faith, just the opposite. At the same time, because we have spiritual eyes to see, we should be aware of the times. Now, I don't feel the Lord saying, run to the hills today. He may do that one day. The Bible says it. I mean, the, he literally, Jesus, you know, I mean, we see it about the Jews. Like, listen, you don't even have time to get your stuff. You're on the rooftop. You're, you're, you're already late to the party to get out where you need to get to. I don't feel that today, but I do see that the storm is on the scene, and I don't, uh, we, we could have a, a, a delay. Uh, we read it in the Bible where, where God will, Speaking of people like Ahab, he'll say, okay, listen, I'm going to delay some things, but it doesn't mean it's going to be delayed forever. You prayed in some re a reprieve because of grace and mercy, but there are things that are in play that are going to be. They're going to have to happen for my timeline. In order for Jesus to have made sense, they needed to crucify him. 
we had to have an, an, an utter evil in the earth that God allowed for the purpose of Christ. Amen. So we can pray and we can believe, and, and we're going to keep doing that because if this is not the time, we're not going to just say, well, whatever, and, um, and uh, you know, Jesus is coming back, so we're not going to worry about pressure-treated decking, right? Because he's coming back doesn't matter, right? I always joke about that. <laughs> My parents, when I was a kid, we th- were so sure that Jesus was coming back within 20 years. Why put down pressure-treated decking? No, but, you know, we all think, you know, I'm, I'm not making fun of them. I'm pointing out that that's how close we feel like he is. Don't feel embarrassed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See, we all did it. We must be alert and aware, but also occupied till he comes. We need to, like, be in the earth. Be, be, we're here in this time, but our eyes are that he is it's imminent. His, our eyes are on him that he is coming within the moment, before this service is over. That's really the right heart, and it actually keeps your heart right. If you don't have that heart, what ends up happening is, is you end up, Going too luxurious here, becoming too lax. And that's not where we're supposed to be. We are sojourners, right? We are nomads. We are aliens. We are temporary citizens, right? We've been given a green card to live on this earth temporarily. Amen. I've been talking about uh, the Abrahamic covenant. Who knows the term Abrahamic covenant, right? Two weeks ago, talked about it. And then Jeannie and I, who hadn't discussed it, because she was going to do last week for me, um, it was already in her heart to talk about Abraham. And so the, the fact that it all connected, and then TJ and Tom and John and Tamisha were like, hey, you know, how about this song, Promises? And the first line is, right? Right? God of Abraham. I mean, it's incredible. So obviously, the God, God is speaking now, and what we need to do is we need to hold on to his promises. But what I really want to emphasize today is I want you to say this out loud to me, with me. Eternal promises. I want to show you today that God really, when he spoke to Abraham, was not talking about Israel over there. Yes, there is. God is always multifold, isn't he? Everybody, do you understand? I want you to say this out loud. God is multifold. How is that true? Because how many times in his word does God actually fulfill a prophecy like five, six times? It's already been fulfilled, and then Paul's talking about it again, like, hey, this is what this scripture means. Sometimes people get weird because they're like, oh, well, that, you know, that already happened, so that's not going to happen. God does it all the time. A partial fulfillment or a physical fulfillment and then a spiritual fulfillment. Amen. But I want us to understand something that, and I'm going to prove it to you because actually the Bible says it's not my opinion. I'm going to read to you in the Word what the Bible says. I want to firstly start, though, in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 12, where this Abrahamic covenant comes from, and I want to bring it in New Testament, and I want to show you that it's an eternal, it's an eternal covenant. It's an eternal destination. It is not an earthly place, although God, just like, like this, does anybody know where God's temple is presently? It's kind of a trick question. Anybody know where it is? Somebody answer me out loud. In us. Are you sure about that? I thought it was in Israel. 
I thought they're still trying to find the foundation to build it again. There's a physical temple. There was a tent. And then there is the temple within us. And then there's a, apparently, there's a, a final future temple, some sort of a building again that God will dwell in forever and ever and ever. Amen? So there's a multifaceted, multifold thing that is happening here. And the reality is today that God is within us. Present tense. Not one day. One day this, this flesh will shed off and we will have a new flesh, right, of some sort. A new body. We're going to have a new earth and a new body. It will be we're not going to call it flesh, but it will look like us because Jesus came in his new body and he looked like us. They thought he was the gardener, remember? And then he was there in the room and Thomas the doubter. Remember, they don't give Thomas a hard time because Thomas is also the same guy who said, let's go and die with Jesus. He's the only one that said that. It's funny that he has the, t the saying, I don't know, that was a little tidbit there for you guys, but the point is that there was a, a flesh type of body, but in the meantime, we're in this decaying body, this, this one that's breaking down. But Christ has placed a spiritual temple that you cannot see in the natural within you, and he is dwelling in that temple present tense. The Holy Spirit, just as in the temple of Solomon, it, the Bible says that the Spirit fell upon the temple, right? The cloud hovered. The Holy Spirit came and dwelt within us. Anybody seen the Holy Spirit before? Anybody seen your temple? How do you know it's there? You have to believe. We have faith. And that's really what I want to talk about today, is that there is faith that God is doing something in us, yes, and we believe it, but that there is something that he is doing ahead of us, and it truly is just faith. Faith is not, uh, seeing is not believing. We believe and we have not seen. And so God does something supernatural. Everybody okay so far? I'm talking about a lot of different things. We're all heading in the same direction. We're okay? Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 says, The Lord had said to Abram, I want you to leave your native country. In fact, I want you just to hear these words as if God is speaking to you because this covenant and I'm going to look at those verses today. I'm going to try to move quickly because I want to get into the New Testament and show us today what I had alluded to two weeks ago, that this is a New Testament promise. This actually, through Christ, still applies. There, the Jesus canceled out the legalism of the law, but this covenant was actually the foundation to the new covenant. Amen. Who believes that? Who knows that this covenant actually passed through? Jesus is the fulfillment. And he says, I want you just to hear the Lord speaking to you. And you can just hear it in your own name. So for me, it's Adam. I don't want you to focus on this earth. I know that you're looking around and you see blood relatives and blood family, and you think that that's your family, but your family is the kingdom of God. This is not your home. And many that are in your blood will be there with you, okay? But you have a greater family than what you can even see and understand in my kingdom. Those that have lived thousands of years ago and those that have not lived yet. And I want you to go, I want you to set your eyes, and I want you to leave. I want you to leave behind this earth. I want you to 
put aside your cares and your wants and your desires. You know, everybody's so focused on their dreams, right? How many Christians writing books about what's your dream? I'm not opposed that God has put a desire, because the Bible says God gives you the desires of your heart, right? Isn't that funny that you can say that verse either way? You could say, God gives you the desire, so I have a desire, God gives it to me, fulfilling what I want. Or I could look at that same exact verse and say that God, from heaven, put his desire, he gives me a desire for me to have. We could look at that both ways. And so many uh, books about what's your dream, you know, and go out there and fulfill your dream and do what, you know, what you want to do. And, and, you know, I mean, that's fine. Uh, to, to, I don't want us to be um, so pessimistic that we never do anything in the natural. We never build, you know, we never go anywhere because we're like, well, we don't live here. That's not my purpose and what I'm trying to say. Your focus is not here. Your fulfillment is not here. You don't know yet that the dream you have in your heart is from God. You know that the devil can plant dreams in your heart too. Who has had many of those that thank God the Lord canceled? Who had a dream? That's it. I'm out of here. When I hit 18, 21, I am gone, and I'm headed out of here. I was heading to the mountains of, like, Colorado. I used to tell my parents all the time, I had a Colorado Rockies hat at 14 years old. I never watched baseball, but I just wanted to go to the mountains. God had a different plan for my life. Thank God. And ironically, what's funny is that I actually not only did, it's not like he made me stay here in New York. I actually learned to love it, and I have no desire, at least as of today, to leave here. I've actually, not only has it become acceptable to live here in New York, but I've learned to love it. I don't love everything about what's going on in the national scale of New York, right? We don't love our taxes, political side. But even the region that I thought I was going to run to get away from. So, you know, the thing is, we can have a dream in our heart or desire that's not God. And the point is that you need to put all those things to the side. And so he told Abram, I want you to leave everything that you know, all your desires. Come on, this is just as, this is the same thing that Jesus said to us. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross. Jesus said, be, don't, be careful. Don't be so quick to say you want to come with me because I just want you to be aware that I don't even have a place to lay my head. Come on, guys. We know the word, right? Amen. Don't be so quick to, to say, okay, Jesus, I'm ready to follow you to actually count the cost. Jesus said, count the cost. Come on. I said two weeks ago, it's worth it, isn't it, though? Come on. Grace is free, but it costs you everything, but it's worth it. Amen. And so he says, I'm going to, if you'll do this, come on, everybody say, if I do that. See, this was God's free gift of grace. It cost him nothing for God to offer it. It was offered freely, okay? But you still need to do it. Everybody say, we still need to do it. Just like, you know, everybody says, you don't need to do anything to receive the grace and mercy, the blood. All you need to do is believe, as if belief is not doing anything. Isn't that funny? Isn't that ironic? Just come to Jesus. You don't need to do anything. You just need to believe. Wait, wait a second. Hold on a second. Are we talking to five-year-olds here? Wait a second. I don't need to do anything, but I do have to do something. Isn't it funny how the devil has got, man, he's just such a snake, isn't he? I know it's so subtle, but when they say that, you know, what, what it really means is people don't actually believe, isn't it? 
Isn't that exactly what happens? Oh, it's, it's absolutely true. All we do have to do is just believe. We just have to trust them. All I need to do is just lay it down. I just need to become a living sacrifice. Romans 12. All I have to do is just become a living sacrifice. All I have to do is just join with Christ in his sacrifice, and I will share in his glory. It's very simple. But to say that we have to do nothing is ridiculous. Doesn't mean it's not free. I am not touching the free grace. Come on, I want you to say it out loud. It's free. It's the same exact thing if I put a retirement account for my children to inherit one day or a college fund and I put it out there for them. They don't have to do anything. It's purely because they're my children. It costs them nothing. But at some point, if they want to activate it, they're going to have to actually go through the motions of going to college. Amen. We get that. It's been offered to us freely, but there is an activation. There is a walking it out. And that's exactly what happened. I believe that there's a time like never before where the Lord is actually calling us. This is not a works thing. There was no works involved. He didn't even understand. He didn't tell, you know, get into details and, and what sin was. And listen, I have a problem with this. And Abram, I don't really like the way you're talking right now. And I don't like what's in your heart towards your father. And I mean, all, God doesn't get into any of those things. Just saying, listen, I just want you to follow me and I will teach you along the way. Amen. Who has found that that's exactly what God has done with us? And he says, so if you will do that, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make you famous. I'll be, you'll be a blessing to others. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt or curse those who curse you. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Amen. Now, there was a, a physical, uh, there was a physical fulfillment to this verse, this chunk of scripture, in the physical land of Israel. And to this day, listen, this is not being anti-Semitic. Actually, it's just the opposite. It's being Semitic. If you're not being anti-Semitic, you're being Semitic. But they're very blessed people to this day, right? Jewish people are, to this day, God, a blessing has just been put upon them without earning it, to this day, they are still very, very blessed. Now, they went through hell for thousands of years and have only been restored back to their land, you know, I mean, 80 years ago. But there are very blessed people to this day. This, there was a physical uh, thing that happened here. But God is doing something supernatural in us. And I want you to look quickly with me at the book of Genesis uh, in chapter 17. And it says in verse 1, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I'm El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. Now, many people attribute Genesis chapter 12 to the covenant, but actually the covenant is not mentioned in Genesis 12. So they say it was an unconditional covenant. He, and again, he could do nothing to earn it. There was nothing required of him. I think we've already negated that. He had to leave. He actually had to make a choice. I have to believe. I have to, to put aside me. That's what repentance is. Who knows what repentance is, right? I am no longer. It doesn't mean that, that you don't love me and you don't have grace for me right now. Instantaneously, whatever lifestyle I am in at this moment, you love me the same as you'll love me at the end of time and as you love me at the beginning of time, right? That's his unconditional love. 
but I am going to put aside me. I'm going to get on my knees. I'm going to raise my hands, and I'm going to say, forgive me for the sin that I've committed. I'm going to commit, etc. And I thank you, Lord, that you're going to give me grace, and you're going to help me walk out that commitment. Amen. Well, so that's Genesis chapter 12, but the actual covenant that I was alluding to, and I'm going to try to now just bring us into right this minute, is actually in 17. And the very first thing, before God even mentions the covenant, he says to Abram, he says, I want you to serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. So yes, the picture of Abram, Abraham is the allusion to grace, to Christ's grace, that we're literally nobodies, we're called out from the earth, we've done nothing to earn it, he laid his life down freely, he got on the cross for me 2,000 years ago, right? He knew that we would live a life of sin for 10, 20, 30, or even 80 years before we repented, and he still got on the cross for us way back then. All right, so it is, there is no way to argue that this is a picture of unmerited favor, unmerited grace. It cannot be earned. And at the same time, to be received. Wow. Talking about the fine line here. Now listen, to be received is a different story. To be received, it must be activated. And yes, it is as simple as believing. So if I believe God... He believed God, and he began on the journey. Now God's going to begin to speak to him, and he's going to say, now listen, and thank God, I actually mentioned this, maybe it was two weeks ago or weeks before that, that thank God that God didn't tell you what you were going to go through as a Christian when you got saved, because many of you wouldn't have gotten saved. You said, if that's the story you got for me, I'm not interested, because you don't see the end yet. He sees the end. Amen. You're just in the details, which you don't really find comfortable right this minute or haven't found comfortable, but it's worth it, isn't it? I'm going to say it again. Amen, isn't it? It's always worth it. But anyway, so he says to him, before he even mentions the covenant in verse 2, he says, Abram, here's what I want you to do. And this is what the Lord is speaking to us today. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. Isn't that incredible? Because Abraham is brought up all the time as a picture of grace. See? Nothing you could do. It's unmerited. God just did it. Just picked people out of the earth, right? Now, there's all kinds of actually sects uh, of, of Christianity that believe that, that God chooses people throughout the earth, and you've got no choice in the matter. And that's what they'll allude to Abraham many times, actually, to see, see? See, before, we, before the law, you know, there's Abraham, and it was just belief. It was just faith. And yet the very first thing that God says to him is here is, I want you to serve me, and I want you to live a blameless life. Verse 2, I want you to say this out loud, because this is what God is alluding to. You ready? If I serve him faithfully and live a blameless life, God's got a covenant for me. Now, do you say it in belief? you really believe that? He says, verse 1, live a blameless life. I'm going to make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abraham, Abraham, he fell down his face to the ground. I'm just going to read quickly here. And God said to him, this is my covenant with you. Verse 4, I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. And what's more, I'm going to change your name. 
Aren't you thankful that God has changed your name? Do you know what that means? You know the symbolism to that. It's not just that and for Abraham specifically, it was because he was exalted father, and now his name was changed to father of many nations, father of many. But God has changed your name as well. The name that you were born, the identity that you had when you were born, the sin, the desires, again, those dreams. Be careful of those young desires and dreams because they might not be God just because they seem like they could be quote-unquote good. I remember saying to my mom, she's like, what do you want to do with your life? And that's what you talk about with teenagers. And I said, you know, Mom, uh, I was about to make a pretty uh, distinct decision about where to go and what to do and, and maybe even, again, relocate. And I said... You know, I was out kind of just mowing the lawn, and I was praying, and I was thinking, I don't want to just do a good thing. I want to do a God thing. And it was such a fine line, but you know those desires and those dreams, and they weren't bad. They were good. I actually wanted to leave town, and there was a pastor on TV that I liked, and I was like, I don't know, maybe I'll go apprentice for him. And I was seriously considering doing that, whatever even that meant. And my life would have been totally different. But God says, you know, the whole name, your whole thing, I want you, you've given me your life, and I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to give you an identity from me. I'm going to establish your ways. I'm going to make a name for you. You have given me your life. You've already decided, because he's already done it. He's already left. He's already with God. He's walking with God. Now, I'm going to establish a path for you, and I'm going to make some promises here to you today. You know that the Lord, when you made a decision to believe him, made some promises to you. We're going to get into that next week about really holding on to the promises. But God has given us promises when we decided to follow him. Amen. The promises were not guaranteed before you believed, though, were they? Because you had a path and you had a plan. In your life, the devil had a plan for your life. And when you entered into the kingdom and God began to change some things and, again, change your desires and change your direction, there's some promises, uh, both that are written in his word and some that have come by prophetic words to you, that God began to give you now that you've decided to follow him. And he said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to change your name, and I'm going to make you extremely fruitful, and your descendants will become many nations, and there will be kings among them. And verse 7, I'm going to confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you, generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. Ready? Here it is. Here's the, here's the colon so we know exactly what it is. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. That's the covenant right there. God with us. Emmanuel means God with us. The fulfillment, and we're about to celebrate that next month, right? For Christmas, that's literally what it is. Call him Emmanuel. That's the fulfillment. I will always be your God. He said, Old Testament, I will never leave you, never forsake you. And then Jesus, when he's about to leave, he spends like three chapters, John 14 through 17, saying, I just want to let you know that I'm leaving physically, but I'm not leaving you. That my Holy Spirit that Abram only wished he could have had. Come on, I'm, wow. There's just, I, I, we just don't have enough time. This is like five hours of Bible study here. But Abram only wished that he could have the Holy Spirit with him. I led him, but he didn't have the Spirit in him. And finally, after all these thousands of years, my fulfillment to the promises I made to him when I called him out. You are called out. Come on, church. We are called out. The Bible says we can go all the way to Revelation and it says, come out from among them. Right? We need to come out from among the world. We need to be separated. It's time like never before because the mixture of Babylon, that mixture is becoming more and more murky. 
and the, the Christian that is all mixed in, and, and, and come on, identities are getting confused, ideas, and, and who God is, and is God a he, is God a she, maybe God's non-binary now, did you know that? That was a low blow. But that's where it's going. Come on, don't call me crazy. It was in Congress when he said, amen and a woman. That's how he ended the prayer. Call me crazy. That's, I have video proof. You guys remember that last year? The prayer in Congress to a, you know, inaugurate, whatever they call it, the, t the time of, that they're about to be in session, and that's their prayer. Amen and a woman. What does that even mean? I'm pretty sure amen just means I agree. So apparently it's I agree and I agree. <laughs> I mean, this is the insanity. Do you realize we need to come out? And I started to allude, we just don't have time because it's more like a study than a Sunday sermon. But where he was in really where Abraham lived, it's the cradle of civilization. It's New York, right? And it's the, the Western thinking. It was anything goes. It was, it was the Chaldees. And this, this was demonically inspired, demonically influenced. I mean, you got uh, even the, 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 the you, can, you have to go outside the Bible and look at some other books of that time in history. But remember, don't forget that they had just built the Tower of Babel. And if you look into some of the Hebrew writings, they actually built the tower to make war with God, not just to go into the heavens, but to literally make war with God. And we're going to be our own gods. And that's the time, that's what God called him out of. You realize that that Abram was, was this was his, uh, his family that did, that did that. You go and do your research, that was his family. And God was telling him, get out of the world and this war against God. There is a war that has been set against God in the heavens, and you need to get out. You need to, you need to, uh, your identities are about to be confused. So I'm going to, you need to get rid of your earthly identity now. Well, you still can. And there's an identity from heaven that I want to give you, and I'm going to confirm it through Jesus Christ. This is generation, generation, everlasting. And he says, just for sake of time, and then he talks about the land. All right, now, just because God talks about the earthly land here doesn't mean that this is not for us. And we just have run out of time, but I could go through so many things to show you that this is, and we'll get, we're going to have to just get into it next time. But he says, it's everlasting. And then he talks about verse 8, the land of Canaan. And then he says in verse 9, now, <laughs> wow, wow. Let's read this out loud. God said to Abraham, your, let's just say this, ready? My responsibility is to obey the terms of your covenant. You and your descendants have this continual responsibility. Now what he's about to get into is circumcision. And we know that the physical circumcision was an act, just like when we take communion, it's not actually his blood and his, and his body. You know there's people that believe that, though, right? There are people that believe that the, when they eat the cracker that it's actually his physical body. It's not. It's still a cracker. 
but that physical thing that I'm doing is a spiritual thing inside. Amen. Does that make sense? Well, if I drink the wine or I drink the juice, I'm doing something physical to confirm something spiritual, right? It's not communion that saves you. That's a lie. When I have communion, I'm doing something physical to reiterate, to confirm, to do an outward expression of what is happening internally. Amen. So the Bible actually says that this is your responsibility. Now he gets into the circumcision. We know today we do that for health. We don't do that to be saved. The Bible says, and this is right here, it's right in his word. The Bible says in Romans chapter 2, and this is I'm going to I'm going to close here. Romans chapter 2 verse 28 for you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. Now, this is so significant because just because somebody does Christian things, just because people go to church, just because, you know, the place says church somewhere, they don't really say church anymore, but if you look in their fine print, maybe... You know, maybe, uh, you know, life place or whatever it is. Come on, all these modern names, you know. I, want, I have names in the tip of my tongue, but they're all names of churches, and I don't want to do that to offend. That's not my purpose. But just because it looks like a church, feels like a church, sounds like a church, it is not the walking out of the physical, and this is why... You know, grace and, and what Christ has done in us, and it's where everybody gets all weird and semantics. And the, but the point is that this, it is about the heart. I want you to say that out loud as we close. It's about our hearts. Because that's what it says, verse 29, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision, so... Let's take the Old Testament promise. Let's take, because, listen, it wouldn't mention it in the New Testament if we weren't supposed to sandwich together the Old and the New Testament together. And again, we could spend five hours and look at this study, how they are just as relevant today as it, now the law, of I mentioned many times, you know, wearing linen and cotton together, that has been done away with. But the circumcision, that's our side of the covenant, has not been done away with. I will bless you. I will take care of you. I will give you a heavenly homeland. And, and, and your part is, is to have a heart that is circumcised. He says, the true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. And this is where so many miss it. Rather, it is a change of heart and you can't even do it. Come on, let's just testify. I can't do it. Produced by the Holy Spirit within me. When I decided, okay, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going. I just know that I want to follow Jesus, and I'm willing to follow him, and I'm going to leave, and I'm just a sojourner now. I have no identity, apparently. I'm leaving everything behind, but I'm going to follow him, and something begins to supernaturally change. He begins to do a circumcision of the heart uh, spiritually, and a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. Amen. I want to read one last thing, if you will let me. 
It's, there's a whole, you could go through your Hebrew study. You go into Hebrews and you begin to read 6 and chapter 8. But verse 11, I mean chapter 11, who knows chapter 11 is about faith, right? We call that the faith chapter of the Bible. And you know what it says? It talks about Abraham in verse 8. It says, verse 11, verse 8 says, It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and to go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And this is what it says, you ready? And even when he reached the land God had promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was a foreigner living in tents, and so did Isaac, and so did Jacob. And Abraham, now verse 10, and this is what I told you I was going to conclude with. It is not... Israel over there, although God is going to use it for his heavenly timeline. God is using the physical land of Israel to, to fulfill some revelation, uh, which is fulfillment of the whole word, prophecies. But even Abraham, who believes your word? Anybody think the writer of Hebrews was confused here? Was he, was he, was he, okay, so we understand that Hebrews is not negating the Old Testament. It says, Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with what? Eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. So, Abraham, if you will leave your identity, I'm going to lead you somewhere Yes, it's physical temporarily, just like we live in a physical body, but I'm going to take you somewhere that is eternal, somewhere spiritual. There's a process that we're going to go through, the shedding off of flesh, cutting off of flesh, and believe me, Abraham, it's worth it. Go through the process because I'm establishing something through you, and this is what it says, verse 16, uh, verse 15 actually if they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. Speaking of the physical land over there. Actually, it's over there. That's the West. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back, but they were looking for a better place, a Heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. We could go on and on and on, but here's what I wanted to get to today. It is a time to leave behind. It's a time to get rid of our ties to this earth. Now, I'm not telling you that you're going to cease to exist. You still need to take care of your family. Go to work tomorrow. It's Monday. Okay, in the meantime, we live in a physical body. Jesus had a fulfillment, uh, a plan that was before time, and yet for 30 years, we don't have any writings of him. He still walked out a time until 30, right? Amen. So there is a time you must occupy, but this is the point, that our heart, our, you do not have an identity here. And do not get frustrated that the devil's doing this right now, and he's elevating new identities in this earth to a place that you feel uncomfortable and feel even out of place. Let that happen. God is allowing it as another revelation that this is not our home, but we are looking for a heavenly homeland. And he has made a covenant with us to take us there through the blood of Christ. That is the, and our 
our side is the circumcision. Our side is the cutting off of flesh. It is no longer us. It's not me. It's you, Christ, in me. And I, and I know that I'm, I'm going to live blameless. I'm going to stay focused on you. I know I can only do that through the Holy Spirit. But as I do, you are walking with me to the very end. Amen. Amen. Who's encouraged by the Lord today? Again, I went way beyond what I had planned on today and have so much, so we'll just continue to trust God to unravel this, but we just thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. I thank you that you have preserved your word through time, that we can sit around your word, Lord, and be encouraged and be filled with hope. Lord, you said, Behold, I go to prepare a place for you. And I thank you, Lord. We are not discouraged as this world continues to crumble around us. Lord, we are not discouraged because there is a city of gold, your word says. Your word says it's so pure that the gold is transparent. I thank you, Lord. We are set. We have set our eyes on the end, Lord, and I thank you, Jesus, that in the meantime, we will reflect your glory here on the earth. We will be good citizens like your word has called us to be, but I thank you, Lord Jesus, that this is a temporary place. Put it in our hearts, Lord. Sear that identity into us, Lord God, that we would know that we know that we know. Lord, you are our identity. We have been identified in Christ, and I thank you, Lord, and praise you for strength that is beyond us, Lord, for abilities that are beyond us. Give us, Lord, faith that we don't have. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.